Okay, ready? Take what you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in we are. I want to know something she's I'll think about everyone you need. I'm holding it, things are moving real now. I have a senior warning you. Hey. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you're legendary. Can we talk about French fries? Yeah. <laughs> was that in the script? Yeah. It was? Yeah. Because you know people were like, Love her because it's the first episode. Yeah. And it's four minutes in. Oh my God, I know what you're going to say. And people were like, oh my God, she looks amazing. Oh my God, our girl is on Sex in the City. Oh my God. How is she eating a French fry from somebody she barely knows? Well, <laughs> let's keep it real. That's what people were saying. And you've heard this. Oh yeah. I've heard a lot. <laughs> um, let me just say that I. Picked my battles. <laughs> and that scene was the first day on set. And there were so there was so much going on that the French fry became the least of our worries. Like, first of all, Sarah Jessica Parker is stunning. So it was like I'm standing in front of her. Kristen Davis and Cynthia Nixon are these beautiful, generous, kind spirits. Sarah was so loving. I mean, it was, I went up, I did things I haven't done in 20 years. I went up on my lines. What does my, that mean? You know, when you forget your line, you go up, you go up on your lines. Um, my jewelry was making noise from the sound department. Um, outside, it was my first experience with the crazy fans, the loving, adoring fans, packed against the glass of the door. Paparazzi on the other side of the street with the long lenses. I had to like, I needed a French fry. (laughs) (laughs) Nicole Ari Parker is one of the stars of And Just Like That, the Sex and the City reboot. And her Lisa Todd Wexley feels like someone I know, actually do know the inspiration for Lisa Todd Wexley. But what I'm saying is that Nicole is such a great actress that she's given us a character who feels like someone who could be my friend. She's not from this fantasy world. She's real. She's honest. But Nicole's been a great actor for multiple decades. She's been in this game. And I've known her since she was a baby in this game. So it's an honor to have her come back and sit on the couch and hang out with us and talk about her career, talk about, and just like that, talk about knowing me a very, very long time ago. Let's get into it. It's my friend Nicole Ari Parker on Torre Show. I've known you forever. Ever. <laughs> I mean, well, okay, it might be 29 years. Yeah. Like yeah. starving artists for real yeah. in New York. Yeah. 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 And to see you on, and just like that, it's like my friend has joined the New York Yankees. Like, how, what, how, I know you, like, for real. I know. Like, I could text you and be like, that was a great scene. How are you swinging your backhand like that? Like, you need to follow through. Like, whatever. Hilarious. That's uh, right. You're a tennis head like oh Boris. God, That's oh, my right. God. Oh, yeah. Your husband is a fantastic tennis player. But... <clears throat> Joining, the, this is one of the great brands of modern television. People yes. lived for this show. Yes. I was one of those people. Sunday nights, me and my girlfriend, and then she became my wife, me and my wife. Every Sunday night, we we didn't DVR it. We watched it in real time. That's right. Um, how did this come to be? Well, it was a very straightforward actor process. I got. I was shooting something else in New York. And I got a call saying, today's the last day. They really want to see you. Put yourself on tape. So I went into my dressing room. Self-tape. And self-tape. No, no, it was, a, that one was a 
I went in my dressing room and I had an audition on my, on my laptop, like a Zoom audition okay. with Michael Patrick King in the casting and uh, read three scenes in like 20 minutes. And I and they were little, the AD was knocking on my door like, we need you on set. And, and uh, I heard about two, three weeks later that I got the part. One audition. Yeah. What did they say to you about Lisa Todd Wexley? I'm curious how much they gave you and how much you said, this is who she is. Well, it was a fast turnaround because I finished this job. I took my daughter to to Germany and with three of her friends and – um, just really went on this like summer, like six countries, you know, in 15 days. And I literally left and went right to set. So my preparation was a little off, but I had been reading the script, you know, reading the notes because there was no script. There was nothing. And because I was shooting Boris's film, Safe Room, Mm -hmm. I... Missed the table read, the first table read. It was like a whole lot of chaos. But as soon as I got there and I started talking to Michael Patrick King and I had my um, my next table read and I got pages, I, I mean, I had the broad strokes of who I wanted LTW to be, but the art department, the production designer, they nailed it. And I knew that I was in good hands. I mean, we know this woman, you know. Yes, absolutely. A very wealthy, global African-American woman in New York City who's wealthy, whose kids go to private school, who's um, active, who's an artist, but also- Who's comfortable in this white world, not affected. But also- She's she's not like that Oreo type. She's like, I am a black woman, but I'm not throwing that in your face, but I'm not impressed by you white people. But she's also in a black world. Yeah. Do you know, her black world is very affluent and established and change makers um, who are also head fund managers, you know, or they've got their, you know, huge, you know, portfolios themselves. And so that's one thing for us to know. And and they're not, like you said, um, ashamed of themselves or self-conscious or any of these things that the way we're portrayed when we're portrayed as rich people, um, that we're sellouts or something. So I was very, very blown away by the fact that this team knew who this person was and that she lived on the Upper East Side, was a black art collector. Her jewelry was from all of her travels all over the world, um, including Africa. Her clothing was just... It was just fantastic. They just, and Molly Rogers in the wardrobe department, you know, she got a lot of slack because she wasn't Pat, you know, everybody, everybody wanted everything to be the same. So Molly Rogers was Pat Field's assistant, I believe. Um, And so she took over and she had to fight her way through some of the strong, crazy fandom too. So anyway, I just felt like Lisa Todd Wexley was really well done for, you got to remember, these are guest roles that are being added to the show. So when you really add it up, we have a scene, and the scene's maybe two to three minutes over 10 episodes. I'm in a, I'm in a series for 20 minutes, right? feels but like more than that. It feels like more than that because they finally added actors of color, characters of color to this cast. They did them each so well. And so there's a lot to talk about even outside of the actual content that's there. It's such a big move. I mean, it's 23 years later. Yeah. And now the city part of Sex and the City looks like the city, I always say. Finally. It, it does. Did they talk to you? Did anyone talk to you about, like, we need? We know we need to be more diverse? Or was that just sort of inherent in, like, there's you that, and there's Sarita Chowdhury you know, and there's— Most the, A big part of that audience were African-American women over the last two decades. Yeah. And, and they got slack before, pushed back before. But I don't think black women—we didn't tune in— to see ourselves. I think we For, knew what knew the show what was. was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like watching Gossip Girl or something. Sure. like Or Friends or Seinfeld. You, we, you don't tune in to get validated. You tune in for the for the content, the fun, the, whatever it is that is serving you. But 
there was some pushback over the years of why don't you have more black characters? And they tried yeah. it and they didn't really write well for them. And Blair Underwood was Blair great. was great. And then Jennifer Hudson guest starred for a while, but it never landed anywhere that they could make a full season out of these characters. And so, you know, it was overdue. And what I love and what you and I, again, know that a normal Tuesday in New York, you're with your non-binary Asian friend, your Jewish friend. I mean, you can't be and you're Latino in and, New York and not, and not have. Yes. Well, there's some people that have their own worlds. I mean, somebody on Twitter was like, not everybody has a black friend. <laughs> and I was like, I, well, clearly you don't, sir. And that's okay. Clearly you don't. And I made a joke once. I was doing an interview and I was like, Honestly, I kind of felt sorry for them, you know, because if y'all had a black girlfriend, none of this would have been going on. You would have, you're, you're, would, have, would have nipped some of this nonsense in the bud. Like you guys are going in circles over something that's- How much are you able to say, Lisa would say this versus them saying, here's the script and like well, do it this way. you know, I am always a little nervous around that. And I appreciate- white shows or predominantly white writers rooms adding characters and humanizing them because that's that's progress or making them well-rounded black characters but then some of the nuance is sometimes lost still whatever and so Michael Patrick King and Sarah Jessica Parker also had black writers in the writers room so a large part of my my dialogue was well done as well. Um, you know, not everything makes it into the series, into the into the scene. But for time, um, our, for example, Kristen Davis and I had a wonderful scene in a cafe, but it, it was edited for time. But we have a longer conversation that's actually very deep and um, impactful and still funny, still on brand. Sure. You know, I wasn't going to discuss, you know, what's really happening in our community on this show. But at the same time, they still found a way to talk about the elephant in the room, that you now have a black friend. Mm. Mm. And we're not going to pretend it's not there, and we're also not going to belabor it as well. So they found a way to massage it into the show. But everybody has strong no, reactions. That was, that was quite hysterical that she was like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. I don't have any black friends. I can't, I'm calling people I barely know. Will you please? And we've gotten those calls, right, of like, I barely ever see you. Why are you dying for me to come to your party? Um, oh but I can, I can see, I mean, she, LTW feels real and not like the quote unquote black friend, like the black person that a white person would imagine. Mm. But like, she's authentic. Like you said, I feel like I know her. Like, I, like you know, I, my, my friend Crystal reminds me of her. My friend- She's based on Crystal. Really? I found that out later. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, now I just lost a bet with my wife. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly Goff, one of the writers, I think based the, the broad strokes of LTW on Crystal McCreary. And uh, I mean, hey, what a- template to fill, you know, that's, she's an amazing person. So interesting. See when your husband, when they said he's thinking of running for mayor. Right. And then my wife said, Oh, well, that's Crystal and Ray. And I was like, what? Oh, whatever. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. amazing. The tennis scene is so great. What club was that? That was the most gorgeous club I've ever seen. It's gorgeous. Oh gosh. Where were we? Oh, on 61st. One sixty first. No, no, on around. Yeah, like it was right around the corner from my apartment that I got here. Finally, back in the city. (laughs) I know. Look at you. Um, Can we talk about French fries? Yeah. (laughs) Was that in the script? Yeah. It was. Yeah. Because you know, people were like, "Love her," because it's the first episode. Yeah. And it's four minutes in. Oh my god, I know what you're gonna say. And people were like, "Oh my god, she looks amazing." Oh my god, our girl is on Sex in the City. Oh my god. How is she eating a French fry from somebody she barely knows? Well. (laughs) Let's keep it real. That's what people were saying. And you've heard this. Oh, yeah. I've heard a lot. (laughs) Um, Let me just say that I picked my battles. (laughs) (laughs) And that scene was the first day on set. And there there was so much going on 
that the French fry became the least of our worries. Like, first of all, Sarah Jessica Parker is stunning. So it was like, I'm standing in front of her. Kristen Davis and Cynthia Nixon are these beautiful, generous, kind spirits. Sarah was so loving. I mean, it was, I went up, I did things I haven't done in 20 years. I went up on my lines. What does my, that mean? You know, when you forget your line, you go up, you go up on your lines. Um, my jewelry was making noise from the sound department. Um, outside, it was my first experience with the crazy fans, the loving, adoring fans, packed against the glass of the door, paparazzi on the other side of the street with the long lenses. I had to like, I needed a French fry. (laughs) 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 So yeah, there was a lot of pushback about the French fry. Um, But uh, yeah, we got through it. But you were nervous. Yeah, in real life? Yeah. Yeah, but the character wasn't. No, of course. No, 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 she's calm as a cucumber, like yeah. always. Yeah. But you were nervous in that moment. First day, big show. Big show, yeah. The world is and watching. I'm, I'm a seasoned actor. Like, what was I nervous about? But here I was with the girls in their famous lunch scene. And I was I just, it was just amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. And it's not that you have replaced anybody. You are new. No, that, you know how the press is. It's like, well, that's what we thought, right? The way that before it started, the way the scuttlebutt was like, there was so much secrecy. And that day, my photograph was one of the first to get leaked out. Right. Like somebody figured out that's Nicole Laurie Parker. And oh my God, she might be one of the new, cause they didn't know if it was four new characters, one new character. And it just was the first picture to go out and every, it was a groundswell. Everyone just said the new Samantha. Right. Oh, SJ also posted a picture of the four of us hugging. Right. That's what happened on top of that photograph that she posted. And then everyone just thought, oh, Samantha. But it's natural. But it's. They have their crew. Mm -hmm. You are a new friend. You are not the new one in the crew. You are a new person in their world. So you've not replaced. Anyone. You are a, a new planet that is orbiting. I'm just an actor with a job. Okay, leave me alone. <laughs> but no, but you're. It's, I love that you are aspirational to them. They want to be friends with you. They are looking up to you. That's interesting um, point. Um, yeah, you know, she's she's like, oh my god, we have to like play tennis. We have to show black friends. We have to like look nice. We can't be caught arguing in front of them. Oh, now we're that couple. Like, right? She's like, oh my god, she's yeah. so cool. Right, so and Cynthia, uh, Cynthia's character is also like oh my God, stumbling over Karen Pittman's so character. Cool. Yes, I know, but it's also you know some of that's really happening in the world. People are yeah. realizing the holes in their in their lives, you know, and how they're getting all their information from television or Twitter, and it's like. You, there's so many of us that we have to open up our eyes and our hearts and our vocabulary. I mean, if someone says they're non-binary and they're a they, fix your mouth to call them they. It's okay to struggle for five minutes to say they. It's interesting you know? to me. And so, yeah. I think when we were growing up, race was the big conversation that we were having in our generation. And when and where do black people and black women fit in and... For our kids, I think race is de-emphasized over these issues of gender and sexuality, right? Those are the things that, and and pronouns, those are the things they're really thinking and talking about more. Well, I think the approach to, um, to sharing space with people different than you is, is including all of that. Like your, your best friend is Asian and black and non-binary, and you guys are in the ninth grade, right? So there's a whole lot of conversation and history and and impact that this friendship is going to have that that both both people now are stretching to stay friends. So I think it's it's good. It's messy right now. It's very painful right now and tight, and it's it's activating the resistance to this kind of expansion. But sure, you know. It's coming. It has to. You know, we all get wet when it rains. I don't know why that is so hard to figure out. Mm. 
You know, if, if North Korea sends a bomb, is it not going to skip over to white people with the MAGA hats <laughs> and only hit everybody else? Like, are, have you guys not figured that out yet? Like, it's, it's, the playing field is... Well, it's interesting <laughs> how COVID has, has created these different responses to the world. And some people are, like, taking it seriously. And some people are like, it's not that bad. And some people are like, it's a hoax. I don't want the vaccine. It's just... It's, it's a mess. I mean, and that is the bomb from 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 you know from the, another world that has hit us. And some people are like it's not for me, and other people are like running scared. You know, I get it to be afraid of of, of injecting anything in your body because the you know from the far extreme, it's like the government is spying on us and microchipping all of us. To it has the baby parts and it's going to kill us. It's like we've already been microwaved by our telephones. <laughs> Like, how are you? Right, right. The, government needs, the government doesn't need to put a chip in your body. Yeah. You carry like it around every, willingly. You I, paid for it. You paid to be micromanaged. <laughs> Do you know? Wait, you were vaccinated, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. All right. yeah. you scared, for a second, you scared me. <laughs> no, but, I, but my, whole, my whole belief is everybody's right. Yes, five. The unvaccinated are not right. No, listen. No, I say this. No, let me, I'm, I, you know, I've got a quirky sense of humor, quirky sense of humor. But I say, yes, my friends who are like, no, the five rich white people that are running the world are doing population control, you know? And then they say, and then it's like, no, it's part of a conspiracy to do this and to that. And I say, you know, and it was created by in a laboratory on the other side of the world. Everybody's right. I don't want to get it. (laughs) You're right. You're right. It's here. And I don't want to get it. You represent something that I- And wait, and if I get it, I don't want to die. No, of course not. Yeah, we all got it on Christmas Eve. You represent something that I feel like as we get older, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to argue. Yeah. Like, yes, you're right. How about we not argue? How about about I just, you know, I got two teenagers who aren't doing their math homework. I can't. I can't. I just need, I just need them to get through honors chemistry. Okay. You're right. You're right. I have- a hard kid and an easy kid. Mm. Do you have a hard kid or are they both like? They're both hard and easy. They're both hard and easy. In different places. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Like Nicholas is disciplined. So that's the easy part. He gets his homework done. Um, and Sophie is totally unorganized and, you know, like an artist's heart. You know, like, do 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 And I have to get her to focus, you know? I think, like... And I have to encourage Nicholas to be more adventurous, you know, so... Interesting. Yeah. So they're both... They're both wonderful. I, I'm really lucky. I, I love them, like, even more than just normal mommy. Like, I love them as people. They're so kind. That's and, nice. like... To each other? To, well, no. Sophie is the boss. That's so hard. Yeah, she's the big sister. She's bossy pants. But he's sick, and I'm here. They're in LA. I'm here. I'm here for you today. And um, he said that he came downstairs, and Sophie had made her brother a full dinner, full dinner, and took took it to his room, knocked on the door, let him know that his dinner, like the water, the lemon for the water, like his vitamins. Full meal, yeah. And? And uh, that, she, you know, she beats him up, and then she loves him, and, too. But he accepted it. Oh, yeah. I mean, some brothers. Oh, she, oh, she knocked on the door and said, um, I'm walking away now. Don't open the door while I'm standing here because I don't want your germs. But then, you know. <laughs> but some brothers would be like, I don't want it. No, no, no. Which would be like, like are you kidding? She did all this effort for you? Yes. Like, yeah, but I don't want to accept her kindness. No, no, no. It's the, they haven't reached that dynamic yet. But they're... They're really, you know, this is also the age where you you can vouch for this, where you can see what worked in your parenting and mm. what didn't. You're like, I was really good on manners, but like making the bed, <laughs> I don't know. Did I skip that part? We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash 
all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. You've had so many career highlights that I want to touch on. You oh were God. in one of the great movies of the modern era, Boogie Nights. Yes. And you, uh, you know, I... Phil Hoffman. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, how, well, how's that for you? Philip Seymour Hoffman. I know. An amazing, amazing artist. Yeah. No longer with us. I know. I knew him from back in the day around when you and I were friends. Like, he was, you know, in the theater world and... He was with the Labyrinth Theater, and I don't know. I just – he was brilliant from day one, like from when I first met him to the very end. I, the, you know, addiction and depression is such a real thing. I wish we had more tools for that, you know, more hands-on healing modalities because it's the moment that determines your fate you know it's what do, what can I do in this moment to say no mm. with all of this pain how do I manage how do I pivot quickly you know if someone can figure that out that would be really great it's, this, it's the smallest things that an artist does that sticks with the, I remember you turning off the set to go to the bathroom and the director said something and you said, you want to clean, right? Oh, and I was, and that's the moment of Everybody you. In the Everybody talks about that moment. And it's just, it's, just, it's all, it could be a throwaway, but like something about the way you said, you want to clean, right? And like, and like that just, what is that? I love that question. I think it's just when you're dropped in, I made that line up. <laughs> I mean, because Paul Thomas Anderson created such a family, you know, it was really 
delicate yet intense material. There was nudity. We were sometimes we were were around real porn stars who had an incredible amount of information and um, um, honesty about their industry, and uh, we were just free. We were just really creatively free. And so he said that line, and I, I think Burt Reynolds. I mean, I'm in the room with icons. I'm in a robe. And I think my wig might have been from 1972. Mm. And uh, I just I just felt like that's what Becky would have said. Of course. You know? Of course. Oh, and, you know, just I learned so much on that movie, like what the beauty aesthetic was. Like there wasn't a lot of shaving in the 70s. You know, natural was better, natural breasts, hair. Like it was a whole other ball game. I'm curious what you have learned about acting in your travels because you've been a vet. You're a veteran. Been doing this forever. Um, I remember going to the Angelica to see. Was it the 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 the, the girl? The incredibly true adventures of two girls in the, love. Yes, the incredibly My true adventures film. of two girls in love. I remember you guys Maria on the Magenti. floor in the kitchen, right? Yeah, kissing, which was like. This movie's amazing. No, we were playing the, the mm. can you tell me where my hand stopped game from, from like childhood. Yeah. Mm. Um, what have you, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, if you were going to teach a class on acting mm. and like, here's how to be a great actor. Wow. What'd you talk to them about? There's a lot in that question. Thank you. I think. Wow. I don't know. Uh, I don't feel that I'm great yet. I feel like that I'm still, you know, learning because all the, you know, maintaining a, you know, your craft eight shows a week for 16 weeks on Broadway is another set of muscles outside of shooting a film out of sequence, right? You're shooting the death scene before you even shoot the wedding scene, right? you know? And so that's another level of skill. Um, television, let's make it happen. Hit Gotta it and quick. quit it. Gotta be quick. So I'm still learning how to to do all these things. Um, and they sometimes I feel like I'm my best when I'm in a film that feels like theater, the way Boogie Nights felt or Two Girls in Love felt. You know, when you have a director that really enjoys that process of growing. But I still study with my one of my teachers from NYU. From you do, Tony Greco. I when when he's in session, he teaches in New York and L.A., and I'm in that city. I, I still go to class, and it's very fortifying for me to to stay in touch with what you know my instrument. You could say. You know? So, what does that mean? Like, uh, you would go? Would you sit alone with him, or would you be with other actors? No, an acting class, other people. It's a, it's sensory work. It's it's um, understanding um, why a character would do certain things and, and experience that character. You know, we do a lot of plays in class, you know. Um, so it's just a way to keep those muscles alive, really. They don't atrophy, you know. you A painter paints, a singer sings, and an actor has to act. And also for your sanity, for my sanity, I can't just wait for a job. You know, I have to, I still, I'm so curious about why Lady Macbeth says what she says. You know, I'm still figuring out the dynamic between Martha and George and who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. You know, I... So you want to read deeply Yeah, into... I want to understand Angel and Blues for an Alabama Sky. So that stuff is happening whether I'm on a TV show or not, so... And, and it feels to me like you're bringing that to everything. I feel like LTW is a deep real person there is stuff off the page that you that is the hugest compliment ever thank you i mean is it not i mean do you not have a backstory oh yeah i got her? it i got it all and can, but, you tell, can you tell me about her backstory well it's really about her well it's that's a whole other conversation it's it's about her given what we call her her given circumstances her where she you know married children, mother-in-law. It's what the it's what the what the writer, what the playwright has given me. These are her givens. And then 
I sensorily explore those givens. I see what, oh, married with three kids does to me, right? And then I try to create that. And then it's a comedy. So there's a certain level of allowing those funny moments of life to happen, you know, that really happen with the mother-in-law. Um, silent dynamics that could happen because I'm experiencing the scene um, sensorily. So I allow what I've already believed, all the things that I've created in my head, like you said, backstory. But I'm allowing me and Miss Pat Bowie, who plays my mom, I know, I allow this natural chemistry to be there. So if she says something, she rolls her eyes at me. I have a response to that, even if I don't have a line. So... You know, and then sometimes a new line will come out of that and either the director will keep it or not keep it, you know. So but there you're like living in the moment. Yes. As yes. opposed to reading Very the preparedly living in the moment. Yes. I don't wing it. No. Per se, right. I come very loaded and then I allow something to happen. Did you add, so did you add to her backstory? Did you take the givens and then say, I'm going to write a story about who she was before this moment? Sometimes, not necessarily with LTW, because like I said, everything was there. So if I get, if I have a simple scene, it's 30 seconds long. I'm on the Zoom with Kristen Davis's character, and she discovers her daughter Rose is calling herself Rock. That was amazing. Now, again, scenes get edited down to one or two little seconds or whatever, but the production design had, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared, and I sit into this, this, now this given in front of me, this office space. Carrie Mae Weems is on the wall behind me. I mean, ugh. so even if my care, I know my character has glasses, a phone, a Zoom, and I know what I would do in that scenario. So I go to open the door, the drawer of my desk. There's pens, there's paper, there's stationery. There's all these things that could serve the moment. And that design team really... And there have been scenarios where I go to do something like that and it's not there. And I say, could I have a coffee cup and a spoon, please? Or could I, even if I'm not even going to use it, I know from what I'm bringing and what the material is bringing and what this other actor is doing that if I get thirsty in the moment, I want this, I want to know what kind of water this woman is going to drink. Mm. Will she have poured it in a glass? Will it in a bottle? So I'm living like that as well. It's hard to explain. No, but I feel you because it partly gives you a sense of the moment is lived in. The moment began before we started watching it. As a writer, I don't like when fo when writers do, you know, the character wakes up. The character walks in the room. Like the character, the moment should have existed before we started watching. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't need to see the character wake up and like stretch their arms. Like we could cut right. to like. <laughs> 10.30, right. when she does something that affects the story, but we know that she was awake the three hours before, right? Like she she dabs her, her brow because she was in Soul Cycle before. But you know what else, though, is interesting about that in film, the director is showing you what he wants you to see. So that's why you have to really, right. in a way, have a relationship with the camera and the shot because if the director is on my back while I'm sleeping and watches me get up on the other side of the bed, that's a different set of information that he or she is trying to reveal. And so I do have to be conscious of that. Like, you know, do I, if I know the camera's on my back and it's real sleeping, do I allow the sheets to be half off? Because all you're seeing is like my bra strap and my nightgown or whatever. You know, how realistic are we being? But and what information do I want to tell about later that this woman's life is falling apart? Mm. So the director's composing that shot. He's choosing to shoot it or she's choosing to shoot it from the other side of the bed. Is did I am I a woman that fell asleep in her bra and doesn't care? Right. Or am I in my clothes? You know, now the wardrobe department, it's a it's a it's it's composing art in a way to tell the story so that, and because of the scenes that are coming up downstairs with the kids, mommy didn't get up. Maybe she has a hangover. Kids are making their own breakfast. I know how this woman's going to be sleeping. What does eating healthy mean to you? 
Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I, like, work backwards, and then I know what the director, what she wants or he wants, and, you know, it's a collaboration there. And then you have to let it all go. Once you and the director have this, this understanding about the story you're telling, they have to trust you and you have to trust them. You let it all go. So when, when, when it's action, the... The mind goes blank. You just do. Mm-hmm. You, right. can't, you try to live. You try to live truthfully. Is there a big difference between you and LTW? I don't have her money. <laughs> okay. But I don't think that's the defining factor of her. Clearly, she's uh, a rich lady. Yes. But, like, you know, do you, is there, like, is she making choices that you're, like, I would not make that choice. I would not say that. Or is she somebody you would be friends with and you think that like, yeah, I, I, you know. I would definitely want to be friends with her because, you know, just someone who dresses like that, that could be a superficial thing, but she dresses in a celebratory way. Yes. Right. She's colorful. She's colorful. She's playful. She's, she's, and she, um, everything has a story, her jewelry, her bag, um, and she uses them. I mean, we all make everything so special. And I love people who wear their stuff, you know, and not for others, but for themselves. This is how she picked up her kids from school in a libertine suit and electric blue St. Laurent shoes and a Veronica Silicani purse. Like, <laughs> that's my Tuesday. <laughs> Are you the sort of actor who you you need the wardrobe to really know and feel now I am her? I need it all. But it's not always there. So I ultimately rely on me and the script. I have a lot of respect for the script, for the writer. And then I try to build on that because they're the ones that are giving me what I what we talked about, they're giving me the givens. The facts, the math. We sort of talked around this, but why do you love this? Why do you love acting? I mean, I'm sure that it's, um, I have a sister, but I grew up with my mom. We have the same dad. I grew up as an only child. And, um, you know, I wanted, I love to make believe. Um, I wouldn't say that I was a lonely kid, but there was a lot of drama in my house, a lot of commotion. And I'm sure that there was something about pretending and entertaining and that gave me joy. And it, and it created a little bit of peace, you know? Was it always this? I mean, you know, I would write plays as a kid. I would do the costumes as a kid. I would create, I would tie the curtain 
from the one end of the wall to the tape it to the other and make the stage like I wanted to sing and dance. I mean, I used to watch those, those, you know, Bonanza with my grandma, all those, you know, Fred Astaire reruns on Sunday television at my grandmother's house. And so the costumes and people dancing and, you know, I didn't even know what they were saying, like, you know, in Lauren Bacall movies or whatever, like. <laughs> so I just loved make-believe. And um, I don't know. It's always been with me. Yes. Yes. There was never another dream. Um, being a writer, you know. Rest in peace, Greg Tate. Yes, oh our dear God. friend. Oh, my God. You know, I hung out with the writers in New York, and I got into NYU early as an English and journalism major um, because my parents were going to spend all this money. I wanted to at least, you know, secure my fate in some kind of way. But second semester, I switched over to Tisch. I auditioned for Tisch. I got in, and I called home, and uh, my dad was like, well, if you do this, you can't give up. Wow. Yeah. He said, you're about to enter a world full of no. Wasn't he right? Wasn't he How right? How did he know? I don't know. I guess being a black man born in 1941. <laughs> but <laughs> And then add, and then, you know, who was encouraged, you know. It's so wonderful. That, that, that year of, you know, people born in the 40s, Jewish, black, Polish, Asian, Latino, they all had the same ethic at home. Usually, remember, two parents were often in the home. My father had a mother and a father in the home. Um, seven kids, big family. But the idea was go to school, get an education, make something of yourself. You know, my dad is an 80-year-old dentist, wow. you know, born in East Baltimore, right? Wow. Like in 1941. So, like, his understanding of no then you add something as insecure of a profession as acting. He just saw double no. I mean, acting- And is, wanted to it, make sure I was resilient. Black people have a world of no, but actors in particular have a world of no. Even if you're a good actor, you're still gonna- <laughs> You know a lot of good actors. Yeah, you're gonna go to 20 auditions and 19 will say no. Yeah. And you gotta like roll with it. I mean, like, yeah. you know, every once in a while, somebody sends me a self tape if I don't get it, I'm crushed. I'm like, you did three this year. Like, like, what do you think? Like, yeah, because I, I thought I'm supposed to get it, right? Like, right. no, like to do 20 and get none. And that's yeah. a good auditioner. Like, yeah, you know, and you gotta like you try got an it agent on. that's sending you out, like you're killing it. So, so how is that? Well, just like we were talking about self-care and management, you have to develop, you know, resilience whether it's spiritual or just, you know, fight in you, you have to take care of your mental and because you'd be crushed. You'd yeah. be crushed. I mean, you got to show up. I'm the shit. I'm humble <laughs> and easy to work with, but I'm also shining this light that everybody knows that I'm great and we're going to shine on screen going to be a great picture together. And then you just have nerves, you know, you're nervous. It doesn't go away. You just have nerves. There's people who are bored. You're the 67th person who they've seen do this scene and you can feel it. You know, you walk into tiny rooms and you can feel it no matter how warm and loving they are. You get the butterflies. And so I came up with this, one of my things, I came up with this thing where I would get so nervous, even, even as a grown-up, like nervous. And a couple years ago, I decided, but I'm not nervous. I said, where am I not nervous? I am not nervous on stage. Mm -hmm. I love the theater. Mm -hmm. I love it with my whole soul. I was like, why don't you pretend that this moment, this four-page scene is theater? And these are the four people that came to the matinee. And I just, I booked everything that year. <laughs> like, I booked okay. everything when I started. But you found the mindset that, yes. that puts you in At your ease. best. Yes, yes. And everybody's different. 
you know, but that really worked for me because I enjoyed, if I dropped the pages, I skipped a line, I know how to fix that on stage. It doesn't throw me, you know, even if I was auditioning for television, this scene is its own piece of theater. Now, wait a minute. If you're, we're right around the corner from Broadway. If you're on Broadway. Yes. And you drop a line and the other actors are expecting, she's got to say. Well, usually you're a family by then, so someone will save you. But so if I drop a prop. they say for you or they'll. Or they'll cue you. They're like, did you want something to drink? And you said, oh, yes. Can I have a Coke, please? <laughs> can I have a glass of water? You know, whatever. But I mean, if you drop a prop or your dress busts open in the back or your wig start, the mic in your wig starts to fall down. I mean, every actor knows how to to just weave that back in and not get thrown or use it. You know, it depends. I don't know. Or is it sometimes that you quite don't become a family and if you fuck up, they'll like just like... Yeah, screw her. You always want the scandal, right? I mean, you want you know, the story. You know, I mean, you know, I've been there. I've seen uh, people yeah. like, I'm, There's some I'm sabotage. not your, I'm not I'm your sure. friend. I'm sure. I've, I've, never, out. I've never had any sabotage. How was it working on Safe Room, directed by your gorgeous, amazing yes. husband, Boris? Well, it was kind of a natural progression for him. He, He's, you know the hunky model that no one knows has a business degree that made it as an actor, you know, but he's really has a poet's heart and he loves, um, directing. He always, he loves photography. Even when he was a model, he would, you know, ask questions, get behind the camera, look at the shot, see, understand the lighting, all the things. And so this was a natural progression for him and we worked together. We met on a set. So it was easy for us to be in that position. And, we just did it. I mean, it was lifetime. There was no budget. He had like, I don't know, 14 days to shoot, 16 days. And he wow. did it. I was just really proud of him. I think I pushed back as a wife the first day. You know, he was like, all right, honey, look, we're going to do this. Boom, boom, boom. We're going to push in and do this. And I was like, no, you know what? We should. <laughs> and then nobody talks to the director like that, right? No. No. And everyone got quiet. It was like all the grips were like, click, click. <laughs> like yeah, where does it? Where do we go from here? It was like, oh right, we're married, but this isn't where we. Okay, I was like, okay, let's do it your way. <laughs> I stepped right into line. Yes, I, uh, no pushback for me. Because I could, I mean, I could see where a wife would be like, no, honey, yeah, this is the best. This is way. better, and I'm an actor, so I was like, no, so right. And, and I finally got a director that I feel comfortable like <laughs> saying anything to. Let me tell you, right. So. <laughs> How long has it been with Boris? Wow, May May will be seventeen years, but we've so known each other for twenty-one years. Seventeen married. Seventeen married. Wow, known each other for twenty-one years. That is beautiful. Yeah, that is beautiful. Beautiful's a strong word. That is beautiful. <laughs> it is no I mean it's, like. How long have you been married? Since it's messy. It's crazy. Five. So what's that? Is it? Is it yeah, that's 17? that's. Tw- you got married in two thousand four or five. We got married in 2005. So 17. Yeah. I mean, you know, Gen X, we experienced more divorce than boomers and millennials. Our parents got divorced way more. And my parents didn't, but my friend's parents did. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was different effects from that. I remember being worried about that. My parents being like, no, we're not. Mm -hmm. And... I think a lot of us said, I'm going to do this forever because I don't want that. And like, you know, no disrespect to the folks who needed to step away, yeah. you know, needed to get divorced. Yeah. That was the right decision for yeah. you and your family. Um, but, you know, I definitely have respect for folks who were like, you know, I figure out how to make it work. And we're going, you know, we're, our relationship is, our marriage is old enough to drink. <laughs> Yes. Um, Yeah, I think that, uh, I don't know. I love that term, your person, you know, Mm. you know, when they say when you find your person. And when I started to look at it like that, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to fix this thing about how we communicate or don't communicate. We're going to fix this thing, you know. And we've been through a lot. I mean, uh, like 
we lived in Atlanta, this the ups and downs, you know, some one of us not working, taking care of our kids. Sure. It's been a whole thing. And we're each other's person. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of support coming from him to let you, I need to go off and be in New York for two months or whatever well, I don't it is. Go, I'm not gone that long. Yes, there is a lot of support there. I'm very lucky, and, he, and I support him as well. But of course. I was flying home on my days off, which is why I don't have LTW's money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. I mean, I have kids. I miss my kids, too. So I literally, like, but I'm, that's my life, right? I'll jump on a plane on a Friday, even when I was on Broadway. You know, the theater's dark on Mondays. So after the Sunday matinee, I flew home, took my kids to school, slept, and got the red eye Monday night, landed Tuesday morning, and did a show Tuesday night. That's a mom. You know? That's a mom. That's, I mean, you know, mom's like, I don't know, I got it. And I didn't try to stress my, it's stressful, but I didn't, I didn't pack a bag. I have a toothbrush at home. I've got a nightgown. I've got leggings and a sweatshirt. Like, when you talk about your person, sometimes my wife says to me stuff like, you know, do you still love me? And I'm like, you know, it's not, it's not a stock market where it goes up and down, you know, like you're like implanted in my heart. And if I'm mad at you, I still love you. And, uh, you know, you did something great. Still love you. It doesn't, it doesn't fluctuate you know and like yeah you may be like you know we need to figure out how to communicate better or have better skills in this moment but like yeah like I don't question it I don't check in like do I still love you? like yeah of course I still love you yeah what else is there oh sweetie <laughs> but um, we gotta show it too you know like you do have to show it you have to act like you know, you have to allow those feelings in yourself to express it, like, and act on them, you know, like, hug, I have to hug him from behind for no reason, you know, that's important, take his hand for no reason, you know, keep that, not because it's not there, but you want to just never lose it or take it for granted. What do you do to create that bond with your TV husband? Oh, I got lucky. Chris Jackson from Hamilton. Oh, my God. We laughed the whole time. And we just had a natural, like, friendship, natural chemistry. Um, and we had this great sex scene written. It was comedy. It was full-on, brilliant writing. But because of time and schedule, it was one of the scenes that got cut. We didn't, even, we didn't even get to shoot it. What happens in the scene? I don't know. I don't know if everything's secret. But you didn't use it. But they might use it next season. Okay. If there's a next season. We don't even know if there's a next season yet. But you would do it. I. <laughs> She's making gestures with her hands in the air. I would love to, yes. but we'll see. Yeah. I mean. I mean, the show is in a way a phenomenon. A lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are watching it. I can't imagine they're like. They'd be like, let's not do it again. Right. We'll see. You never know. You are fully aware that some fans are upset. Yeah. About a lot of things. Which one? <laughs> which fan? Which which topic? <laughs> well, I mean, is there any of the things that are being flung at the show that you would want to address that you're like, ah, that's not fair, oh. you guys? I'm, I'm just... The new girl, I'm just having fun. And I, Sarita and I, one of my best friends for 30 years, we're on the same show. We're having a blast. We're, like, taking selfies in our clothes. Like, can you believe? I mean, one day I was wearing, like, the equivalent of one of my kids' tuition. Like, the bracelet alone was, like, $12,000. I was like, oh, Sarita. Let me throw out <laughs> one thing, and you say whatever you want to say. Because we're about okay. the same age as the yeah. characters, maybe a little teeny weeny bit older than us, but pretty much about this. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of discussion of the physical frailty of these people. 
right? Steve can barely hear. Carrie has to go to the physical therapist. Like they're all, there's a lot of like physical falling apart, not in you and your husband, but in the, and I'm like, that's not how I feel. That's not how my, my friends who are 50 feel. Like, I don't feel like we're falling apart physically. Like I hear just fine. Like most of the time, <laughs> but what I, I, and I wonder why I feel like they're do like, why are you giving us that? Why do we, why are we physically falling apart? I don't know. I don't know. LTW is not in that no. storyline. I don't not at all. I don't know. I think that they're just having fun in the writer's room exploring that. Um I don't I don't really know. Um But I think that, you know, one of the great things about the show is that they do the unexpected, the quirky you know, they take you down a door, uh, open a door and take you down a hallway. And then you're like, oh, that's me. Right. Somewhere in there, like trying to reinvent yourself, trying to find love again at 50. You know, all those things are in there, but they just took you through the the broken hip to do that. You mm. know, the broken ankle to do that mm. or or finding sexual desire again, you know, like. They have their own special tone to get there. And I just think a lot of people have been like, I want I want you to get there the way that I want you well, to get of there. Yeah. Of course. Um, wait, it's been a long career. What has propelled you in this business? What has allowed you to keep going and keep keep getting jobs and keep making it happen? Interestingly enough, I feel like I haven't exhausted myself yet. You know, I've, it's been, it's been a wonderful journey of like almost like bits and pieces. I just feel like I haven't fully maximized myself in a way that um, I, I want to be maximized. You know, I, and you know, as you grow up, you realize you might have to do it yourself. And, you know, a lot of actors today are figuring that out sooner. Like, I'm writing my own monologues. I'm, I'm going to shoot my own film with my friends on my phone. I'm going to develop this play or this show. And uh, there's a lot of great will in that choice. And I'm just discovering that in the last five years that, oh, what if I produce the thing that I want to do and put that team together? What are you dying to do? Uh, I want to go back to Broadway for sure, uh, but I've got some things that I'm working on, and hopefully they'll come. <laughs> I mean, is there fruition. something on Broadway that you're dying to do? You like that better than film. Mm -hmm. You want to see the audience. Mm -hmm. It's like a musician, a big rock star, and there was something else. Say, yeah, I love being in the studio, but there's nothing like going on tour. Like, it's exhausting. But the people are right there, you know, taking that journey with you. Is the applause the best part or the silence because they're listening to you? Oh, that's a good question. I just think it's the togetherness, you know, which probably goes back to your original question. The togetherness. Of why I wanted to do this as a kid, you know. For in that moment, in the dark, every race, color, creed, bank, uh, uh, tax bracket sits in darkness and makes believe. And? And, 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 and make believe. They believe in the make believe. They all agree to go on this journey mm. for like two and a half hours. Everybody is like, you know, I just love that. And sometimes they laugh, sometimes they cry, sometimes they shout, sometimes they crinkle the candy paper. Is it an ego thing for you? Like, yeah, you're going to listen to me. Or is it, are, are you really like the vessel? You're like, you're going to listen to this character. I mean, you've got to have an ego to do, to find the will to do what, anything. But I think that it is, I want to tell this story because I believe that there's something universal in this story that I want to reveal. 
you know. There is a place where we're all the same, you know, where, yeah. And I, and I, like, I like finding that. I've, I've <clears throat> talked to a lot of people about how they feel emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I feel like deep down, everybody is either sad, angry, or scared. Mm. Where does that land for you? I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think a hero's journey includes all those things, you know, and, 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 and finding resilience and after those things or through those things is part of, is part of our journey too. as human, you know, humans like loss and pain and, um, ego crushing and <laughs> it's a journey and yeah I think you're right all those things exist and they manifest in different ways because fear becomes rage sadness becomes you know self-destruction and um, what did you say sad uh, sad angry scared yeah I know I feel a lot of fear mm-hmm. more than anger or sadness. Fear that I'll screw it up, I'll lose all my money, I'll, you know, screw up, you know, some important things and like, you know, it'll all like, oh, I had it in my hands. I had a good life going and then it all like spilled and now it's all wrecked. Mm-hmm. I left it on the train and now I don't have it anymore. Like, you know, that sort of thing. Um Hmm. I think what I do has helped manage those things because when you take a journey through an incredible piece of theater or piece of writing in a script, you you shouldn't come out the same person you are. Like the character taught you something. Interesting. You know, you learn a lot when you give your all to to this art form. Interesting. So you were learning. So, okay. So what does LTW teach you? Get dressed in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Girl, pull yourself together. (gasps) And, um, you know, if we get to learn more about her, you know, she's a documentarian, she's a documentary filmmaker and, uh, no, she just is such an optimist, you know. Do you know what she's made documentaries about? Uh, yeah, but it's not in the script yet, but I've talked to MPK about it. Um, yeah. You're so good. Um, last thing, your superpower. What is the thing that you do better than other people that has led to the success that you've had? My superpower, oh my God. Um, I don't know, Trey. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I found it yet. Thanks so much to Nicole for a great interview and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.